with popular culture, doesn't it? And know what's on telly and films and all that. All right, uh, we get it. Failed miserably. Brilliant. Well, I am so glad that Anne came this morning because I was dreading taking it on from the Bolivia film, you see, because I was a bit of a wreck then. So I was glad that she was here to take it on. But uh, yeah, we don't make any apology because that is the reality. And, 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 and yes, it's not about creating lots of hype and emotion. However, I believe that God works through our emotions, and we do need to see, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, what God sees. We need to be touched by the love and the compassion of God. And so this morning, we do make no apology, and uh, we ask that you would just open your heart to hear what the Spirit is saying to you. You see, what the Spirit may be saying to you might be different what and nobody should make anybody else feel guilty. We have to be obedient to what we feel God is saying to us. That's all that can happen. But can I say thank you so much, Arena Church. Thank you, leadership team, for your tasting uh, of compassion, for your heart, for way that you have uh, sought to uh, incorporate this whole thing into your missions, vision, and the, uh, and the life of the church. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. We bless you. Thank you. So, it's a, just a great opportunity to be here. Uh, if you have a Bible, just turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And I want to talk about a well-known story that Jesus told this morning. And maybe just draw some, some other things out of it. But as you're doing that, a, a lot of people, and maybe you're one of them, have uh, a different perception about poverty. Lots of people do. They, everybody's got some idea, some perception about poverty. It reminds me of uh, the general and his lieutenant who were coming home from the, the, from the war and uh, they get into a, a train and uh, the only seats in the carriage or the only uh, seats that are available are in one carriage and they're opposite this beautiful young lady and her elderly grandmother. So they sit, there's a bit of small talk, the train pulls away out of the station uh, after a while, it goes through a tunnel. For about 10 seconds, it's pitch black in the carriage. And the only sound that could be heard is the sound of a kiss and the sound of a slap. Uh, I'll tell you what happened. You see, all of the four people in the carriage had their own perception of what happened. You see, the young lady thought to herself, I'm flattered that the lieutenant kissed me. I'm awfully embarrassed that grandmother hit him. The grandmother thought to herself, I'm very aggravated that that young man should kiss my my uh, granddaughter like that, but I'm glad she didn't retaliate. The general thought to himself, my lieutenant, because that girl is beautiful, but why did she hit me instead? And the young lieutenant was the only one who understood what happened. You see, in that brief moment of darkness, he had the opportunity to kiss a pretty girl and to slap his general. (laughs) different perceptions. Your perception of poverty, I wonder what that is. Maybe some people in the world say, well, it's not really that bad, is it? Isn't it just a lot of media hype? Isn't it just the charities just trying to get more money? Aren't they just uh, making some of these statistics and facts? Uh, actually, actually, we're not. 1.4 billion people live in abject poverty. Something's wrong with that in the 21st century. Another perception may be, well, it's their own fault if they get their government sorted out, if there wasn't so much corruption, if they dealt justly and rightly in their their countries, then 
everybody would be happy enough. That, you know, uh, it's nothing to do with me. It's out there. It's, it's their problem. It's not my fault. It's their own fault. Maybe another perception is it's God's judgment on a sinful nation that's turned away from God and, and uh, worshipped false idols and all the rest of it. And so God is pouring out his condemnation and judgment upon that, that uh, people because of their wicked ways. Well, I'm not sure I subscribe to that one. Another perception is this, well, yeah, it's bad. It's so bad. 1.4 billion people. How can we do anything about it? It's the, it's the starfish on the beach. You've heard the story, haven't you, where, where the man says to the little boy who's throwing starfish, who'd land on the get back into the sea. Uh, he says, what's the point? There's so many. And the little boy picks up a starfish and tosses it back into the sea. He says, it'll make a difference to that one. It'll make a difference to that one. And you know, we can't eat this massive elephant. But the way to eat an elephant is bite at a time. And uh, we can make a difference little by little. Can I tell you, can I tell you this, that in 1981, 52% of the world's population were living in abject poverty. 52%. Can I tell you this, that in 2006, 20 percent are living now in abject poverty. You see, we've halved it, and we've halved it in a generation. We've done that. We can see this poverty, this big elephant, eradicated if we all do something, if we all take a bite at a time. And maybe another perception is this. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And uh, I pray this morning that God would show you what to do. So if you have your Bible there, uh, it's Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. We'll, we'll continue in a minute. But, you know, Jesus is, is talking to this young man who has eternal life. Jesus says, you've got to love God with every part of your being. Can I say to you this morning, many of you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've discovered his right into your life. You've discovered that his right has made your wrong right again. He's brought you into a place of forgiveness and grace and mercy. We couldn't do anything about it. We, we weren't good enough. Our, our, our good acts and good deeds, they're just not good enough. And God cannot accept us on that basis. He loves us. And he paid the price 2,000 years ago on a cross. That is blood and he died. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, do you know the greatest response that you can make to anything that happens this morning is to open your life to him, to give your life to Jesus, to turn away from, from what uh, the, the kind of life, even if it's been a good life, permeated with the love and the compassion of Jesus. Yet we, we need to put him first and foremost. And he will forgive and he will cleanse. That's the first thing. Do you know, let his righteousness come into your life. Bible, righteousness and justice are the same word. There's a word for, uh, for it in, in Hebrew, the Old Testament. There's a word for it in Greek. We kind of separate the two. 
righteousness and justice. But I want to tell you, it means exactly the same. And what I want to get out of that is the fact that if you have been made right, if you have discovered his rightness, his truth, his mercy, his grace coming into your life, and he has made your wrong right again, and he's put you back into the place of his order for life, it doesn't just stop there, because often we look at righteousness as being a personal thing. But righteousness and justice mean the same thing. So the justice that you have come into, that God has made you right because of his justice, means out of that righteousness, out of that personal sense of experiencing the rightness of God, you have a responsibility to live righteously and justly. That means not just to live the kind of life that God wants you to live for yourself, but for others as well. There is a social implication. And so uh, if we are living in a just place, then we will demand and cry out justice for the injustice. And that is something that we need to understand. So that's why Jesus says, you've got to love God with every part of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. So there's righteousness, there's justice, it's the same thing. Let's read on a little bit further, shall we? Uh, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and where, who is my neighbor? And re- in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, uh, the one who had the mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Lord Jesus, this morning we pray that this story, you would speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's these three guys, different perceptions, I guess, and uh, different approaches and responses to the need. The guy goes on the journey, he's beaten up, he's robbed, he's left for dead on the side of the road. He needs a neighbor, he needs a friend. And uh, first of all, here comes the priest, a religious man. You'd think that he would stop, wouldn't you? But instead, he sees him, thinks, I don't want to get too involved here. I've got things to do at the temple, I've got to preach the sermon, I've got to do this, that, and the other I'm sure, and I'll pray, that somebody else will deal with the issue. That's what religion often can do. Then comes the Levite. Here's another religious person, but this person is responsible for the sacrifices and the ceremonies and the washing and all the rest of them. And he's probably started preparing himself. How could he touch somebody who is in the dirt, bleeding, dying? He can't do that because that would corrupt him in a sense. He, he, he's, he's already gone through certain rituals to be able to perform in the, in the temple, so he can't 
touch him. So he moves on quite quickly as well. And then a Samaritan comes. Here's a person who has every reason to pass by because the Samaritan and the Jew just did not hit it off. And there's still complications today. But he responds differently. This one who you could forgive walking by, but he responds differently. Martin Luther King said this, that the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? What will happen to me? You know, are there robbers kind of hiding behind rocks? Is this a setup? Are they, are they hoping to get me as well? If I stop and help him, what will happen to me? I'll let all those people... I need to be in church. That's where I need to be. You know, I've got things to do. You know, I've got responsibilities. If I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? But you know, Luther King goes on to say this, that the Good Samaritan reversed the question. He said, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? What will happen to him? Jesus told this story in response to a question about eternal life. And his answer was, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I want to just see in uh, the moments that we've got remaining this morning, just four things to see how the good Samaritan did that. The first thing is this. Number one, he saw the need. He saw the need. That means that man was moved in his soul. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. The man was moved in his soul. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He didn't close his eyes to the need like the others had done and hurried on his way. And like so many people do today. And they failed to see this elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about it because it may involve personal responsibility. We, we just pretend it's not there. No, he chose to see the need. That's what Jesus does. He sees the need. In Matthew 9, it says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He tells another story in Luke's gospel about the prodigal son and the, the loving father goes out every day to wait. And it says when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he brought him back into the family. We've got to see the need. Can I tell you that every single day, 21,000 children die of preventable causes. 21,000 children. How can that be so? That's one every four seconds. That's a child, 15 children every single minute. That's 900 children an hour. And in the time it takes me just to say these few words now, another child has just died. 21,000 children every day. Now that's bad. That's wrong. Things like diarrhea. You can get an over-the-counter tablet or listen to, to, to sort that problem out. We've all had that. Measles and mumps and malaria. Stuff like that. Kids die of these things. Lack of fresh water. But you know what? We used to say that 46,000 children died every single day. But then about 10 years later it went down to 34,000. And then it came down to 26,000, and now it's 21,000 because things are changing. Things are changing. Uh, One year alone, 186,000 kids died of measles. But, you know, we're able to say that that's been hard now because governments are taking responsibility. 
kids. People are taking responsibility because kids are organized and those basic take for granted are beginning to happen around the world. And we're seeing these numbers. They're still shocking. And we still must not take our foot off the gas. We've got to see something happen. And Jesus sees it. And his heart breaks for these kids. 1.4 billion people living in abject poverty. Six million kids die every single year of malnutrition. When a child has malnutrition, it's not just a pot belly. We're, We're talking, you know, because of the poor diet that child's development is impaired. And so their their speech, their learning, their ability, all of these different things are impaired because of that. Kids don't have shoes on their feet. And what happens to that is infections into their feet. People don't have toilets. You've got a toilet in your house or maybe even two bathrooms. I don't know. But some people in the world... People living in Rwanda do not toil. Listen to this. The implications of that for women are because they have to go and do what they need to do out in the bush. I apologize. Church, we don't talk about this on a Sunday, do we? But because people need to do what they do out in the bush or whatever, in a vulnerable position, that can easily lead to rape. That's the effect of not having a toilet. We don't think about it in those terms. Something's wrong. 425 million children do not have access to clean water. I've seen kids put a jar in a puddle where a goat's urinated. 215 million kids engaged in bonded labor. 1.2 million exploited through sex trafficking. 124 million children are not at school. That's a reality. Wow there's no education, then there's no hope for the future. All you can do is sell tomatoes, if you're lucky. You know, loving God with everything means allowing him to touch our emotions and saturate our souls with compassion, so that when we see broken humanity, the love of Christ wells up in such uh, a way that causes us to respond rather than to retreat. I want to see what Jesus sees. So do we, do we close our eyes out of fear or do we open our eyes in faith that actually God can do something? Now, those are hard figures to hear, but it's changing. It's changing and we can change it. You're going to change it today for some children in the world. Number two, he answered the cry. It wasn't enough to see the need and to have pity, you see. He chose to answer the cry and do something about it. It's one thing to have faith, and, and Christian mentioned this from James earlier on, but faith without deeds is dead. It's not faith. The word says that he went to him. And and we need to love God with our minds this time. Because when we love God with our minds, it involves a conscious act of the will. See, you can be moved by what you see on the news or on comic relief. What what you've you've seen on the video today, what you've heard Anne say. Uh, You can uh, can be moved by those things. But but to love God with our minds, to yield our minds to him and to be obedient to his and what he says to you. It says in the scripture that it, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. In other words, he brought comfort to the needy man. Proverbs 21.13 says this, that if a man uh, shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Oh, it's powerful. We don't like those verses in scripture. We, we like to think of a God who loves us so much and wants to hug us and hold us and all the rest of it. Hey, do you know all of that's true? It really is. But there's a responsibility discipleship. 
You know, it's not just, oh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Thank God for my salvation. Count my blessings, name them one by one. Hallelujah. Sure, Jesus is mine. Oh, God. But righteousness and justice are the same thing. The justice that I've received, that I need to now live in, needs to spill over to other lives. I have a responsibility. I want to feel what Jesus feels. You know, the Samaritan was, was aware of the danger and the inconvenience, but he reached out anyway, and he answered the cry. Here's number three. He refused to give up. Verse 34 says this, that he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Wow. See, he didn't just patch him side of the road and then leave him for somebody else to look after. No, he puts him on his own donkey, which means he has to walk. That's inconvenient, you know? And he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And when he could stay no longer because he had business in Jericho, he had to move on. He says to the innkeeper, here's two days wages. Look after him. And if it costs you anything else, when I come back, I'll, I'll reimburse you for what I owe you. Wow. That's sacrifice. You know, this time, when we love God with all our strength, we will follow through in our commitment by doing whatever it takes. You know, the Bible talks about adding to your faith perseverance. And too often, you know, we, we start well, but we, but we don't end well. It, it, it dries up. So that, that sense of excitement, it, it just kind of, something slows up because somebody says something or others don't buy it or whatever. And... Yet the word says, just as you began well, finish well. Perseverance, add that to your faith. And, and this guy refused to give up. Do you know, I think of great men and women who refused to give up on their cause because they saw it through, despite opposition. I, I think of Wilberforce. Thank God for William Wilberforce and what he stood for in coming against uh, slavery and all of this. And, and yet that was a long, drawn-out thing. And, and the opposition and the death threats and all that stuff and encouragement that Wilberforce had in his journey to see a slavery abolished, this, this terrible blight on society, uh, was just him. And at times he felt like giving up. He, he writes to his friend Wesley, who's on his deathbed, John Wesley. Tells him of the journey is so hard and, and Wesley writes back and says, you know, you need to press on. Keep going. If God has put this thing in you, then it will, it will be fulfilled. And, and with vigor and enthusiasm and encouragement, he presses on. About three months later, Wesley passes away. And about six months later, a bill is passed in government for the abolition of slavery. Hallelujah. It's a tremendous thing. However, can I tell you that there's more slaves alive in the world today than there ever were before. Now, thank God for that victory but we've got to persevere in his great work because slavery will come in a different way, in a different form. It could be through the trafficking of people for of purposes, bonded labor, for, for the sex trade, all of that kind of thing. I think I told you when uh, uh, I was here last, you know, right now we celebrate the Olympic, Olympic Games in, in our country in 2012. 
But for many young women, they're being shipped into this country right now for the express purposes of entertaining tourists. That's what's happening in our country. Can we really celebrate that? So slavery continues. Kids working 16, 18 hours a day. Just heard even on the, coming up on the radio this morning about a, a factory uh, you know, in, in part of the world where people are being paid 26 pence an, an hour for making little kind of mementos and souvenirs for the Olympic Games. Now, the company that are importing that are by that and are looking into that. That's an investigation. But somewhere, somebody's not playing ball. Somewhere, somebody's exploiting somebody else. It happens and it needs to stop. Thank God for Wilberforce. Thank God for Florence Nightingale in pioneering hygiene and sanitation in modern nursing. Can you imagine it? Maybe, uh, you know, it, it's tough now sometimes, uh, you know, uh, uh, women would say for, you know, to bird and to, to have equal kind of right in, in society. But back then, here was a woman in a man's world of medicine who was fighting to bring breakthrough, uh, but nobody was really listening. But she persevered and she pressed on. And as a result of that, we join now. Sanitation and hygiene in our hospitals. Well, hopefully most of the time we do, unless there's a super or whatever there might be going on. But you know what I'm saying. The word says, just as you started well, finish well. Thank God that Jesus finished well. Thank Jesus that he set his face as a flint towards Calvary and started out and he completed the job and he finished well and he sat down at the right hand of the Father and because we can finish. All our finishes are in his finish. So if God's put something on your heart, if it's a ministry in church, if there's something that God's birthing in you, there's an excitement there, just be prepared to persevere. Because anything that's from God will always be tried and tested. Anything that's from God will always have its critics and all those kind of things. So if that's you in the midst of something right now, be encouraged. Be encouraged to keep on going and, and uh, get some fresh momentum and excitement about God. You may change a few things. God has said it. Then keep on going and finish well. Amen? Wow. He refused to give up. Can I share one more thing? It's got 27 points. Is that all right? No, not really. Not really. Okay. So he uh, chose to see the need. He answered the cry. He refused to give up. The last thing is this. He was the key to bring life. See, the Good Samaritan wasn't hindered by the difference of this man. There wasn't that prejudice there or, or anything. That still exists. It's horrible. In all its forms. But he had the heart to make a difference to this man. See, he was willing to cross political and racial and cultural and social barriers and prejudices and the fear of the unknown. Anything could have happened because he saw someone in need and, you know, he had the resources to do something about that need. When we love God with all our hearts this time, then, then nothing that we have will be held back. It will be freely available to him. Our time, our money, our talents, our abilities, our whole lives... You know, you're not your own, the word says. You've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. That's, that's the value and the worth that he's set on your life. And he says, now I want that life. I give it back to you to use for my glory. To be part of such an incredible purpose, cause 
in bringing the kingdom of God into the hearts of people. We, what, a, what a great cause that is. And God wants to use you. If you're a Christian today, then Christ is living in you. What a treasure. But it's a treasure that needs to be shared. Cannot be kept. That they might discover his love and his power too. So, so here's this priest. You know, religious man. He represents religion. Do you know the only religion that, that God accepts and, and wants is to look up to widows, feed orphans in their distress. That's pure religion. Interesting that, isn't it? In Isaiah 58, he comes against the church of that time. He comes against the religion. There's the, the Levite as well, you see. He represents ritual. And God comes against ritual. And he comes against their, their so-called fasts and, and the prayers and their ceremonies and all the rest of it. You can Isaiah 58. And he comes against those things. He says, at the same time, you're doing those things, you're abusing the poor. You're exploiting the poor. You're oppressing. You're treating them badly. And you say to me, God, why don't you answer our prayers? Here we are. We present our prayers. but, But you don't answer them. And God says, how can I answer your prayers when you're treating others like that? This is the kind of fast that I declare, says the Lord. Loose the chains of injustice, to untie the court, to set the captive free, to give shelter to the homeless and clothing for the naked, to put food into the hungry, to set the captive free. That is the kind of fact that I declare and that I'm looking for, says the Lord. Religion and ritual will not do it, but relationship will. And that's what the Samaritan represents relationship, friendship. We all need a friend. Do you know, if, if everything that you had was taken away from you in an instant, but like Anne in the situation when her father died, relatives come in, that's a common thing. Just take away the house, take away all of the belongings and cast the family out. You know, it happens many, many times. But if it was to happen here and you lost your home and you lost your job and you lost money and uh, in the bank and, uh, you know, your, your and all of those things, it would be a terrible, terrible thing. Emotionally, physically, and uh, all of those things. But can I tell you this? You wouldn't be in the same situation that somebody would be in the developing world because you've got friends, you've got family, and probably within few hours, a day or two, you'd at least be in a place of safety, warmth, food, clothing, you know, something. You'd have something. And in, in, the, in the, the following weeks, you'd, you'd, you'd gradually be getting back into a place of stability. For, for many people in the world, they just live in a place of instability, insecurity, fear, not having enough all of the time because they haven't got the support mechanisms around us. Poverty is a lack of friends. Poverty is hope. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Good Samaritan gave his time, his touch, and his treasure to restore a broken person. And as Christians, we're called to feel the need of the broken. 
We're called to kneel beside humanity with humility. That means to serve and to give. That's what the Son of Man does, to serve and to give. His life is a ransom for many, the word says. We're called to heal the wounds, physical, emotional, and spiritual. We're called to deal hope to the hopeless. Mother Teresa said this, uh, one of the greatest diseases is to be nobody to anybody. I want to be somebody to somebody else. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted, you know? When a child comes into one of our compassion projects, they come into a place of love and acceptance and worth and value. And almost within a few days, that frown becomes a smile because they can see that they're precious. When, when a sponsor from the other side of the world writes that first letter, they can see how much somebody loves them that, that doesn't even know them but cares about them and wants to invest in their life. Their family, when that child is registered on a project, that, their family will jump for joy, literally. Because this is going to turn their lives as a family around. That child will get an education, social, emotional, uh, uh, physical, health care, immunizations, all of those things. They'll get to hear about the love of Jesus and hope will come into their lives. The opportunity to be someone and to become someone. Again, I think last time I was here, I told you about Jonas in Ethiopia. Jonas lives in a toilet. The only thing that separates his little one-room house is just a few sheets of corrugated tin. Next door is the community dump, a long drop. You imagine that environment. Here's Jonas, his sister, and with his mum. She was lying on a bed with bed. Hopelessness, absolute hopelessness. But you know, Jonas had just been registered onto the project. And as I was there, and as I sat on this bed and I prayed with this family, I'd never been so aware of the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus was right there in the midst of the hopelessness. He was right there, caring, loving. And something was about to change. Two weeks' time, I'm in Ethiopia. And I know that I'm going to see a different scene in Jonas' house because compassion have got involved. And their life is going to be changed around. Who knows what Jonas will become? Future president of Ethiopia. Who knows? A great dad himself or a, a teacher or a doctor or a business person that can employ some others. Who knows what Jonas will do in the future? I want you to watch the screens now because we're just going to show you uh, another clip which I think you may have seen before. It's called Start Small, Think Big. And it just shows four of our leadership development students who've gone on from the program and we've been through university and now they're in the world, in their society, making a difference. And I just want you to be encouraged about these outcomes in their lives. Why don't you just uh, roll that one for us, please? Oh, that means water. You want to be out of poverty. You want to be out of poverty. 
Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know Richmond, that Ugandan guy, the last one, he, he now pastors the church that oversaw the project that he was raised in. He runs a discipleship network of 400 pastors that he brings together for conferencing. Michelle works in a university. He speaks for us around the world, as do the others. Jimmy sponsors a child in Haiti. You know, they, they, they're turning their circumstances around and, and the lives of those around them because they've been there. They've been there. And we can invest and start small and think big and see what God will do. You know, the Good Samaritan equipped the innkeeper to be able to do the job. And we can partner with innkeepers. We can partner with compassion in various countries. We can partner with compassion in Kenya today. And uh, as time goes on, you hear more about the project. But uh, we can partner with the project staff there, the church that oversees that project to be able to see these young lives touched and their families touched as well. 70 pence a day, 21 pounds a month. We guarantee that 80% of 21 pounds a month will go to benefit the child. Actually, it is more like 85, 87%. And the remaining 13, 15%, half will go on administration, because that has to happen. And half will go on getting the next child sponsored. Because that's got to happen. It's the next child as well. So we want to keep as much as we can for the benefit of that child. And uh, you can be a blessing today. And so I want to encourage you. Will you respond? Often we have responses at the front of church for healing, for salvation. 
thoughts as this. If you would like to sponsor a child, yeah, they're going to be available downstairs over coffee on a table down there. You can go and have a look. But maybe you right now know I've come today because I want to sponsor a child. I'm not sure how I could choose a child, so I just want somebody to put one in my hand. The band are just going to come back and join me, and uh, we're going to pray. And as I'm praying, here's the response. You say, Tim, I want to res- sponsor a child today. While everybody else is praying, why don't you just raise your hand? One of our stewards is going to come and just put a child in your hand. And you'll be able to take that child away. Uh, we just need some details on the back. Here's Ian, here's Claire. And on the back there, you just see uh, a direct debit form there. We need as much of that filled in as possible. But as long as we've got your name and your telephone number, Compassion will be in a few days and they'll work that through with you. But don't take these away from home and say, I'll fill it in later because things change and we don't want this child to be lost. Okay? So fill it in today and we're going to take that form from you, meet us down at the table. But if this morning you say, yeah, I want a child and I don't care which child because every child is precious, you know, then raise your hand as I just pray right now this morning. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads in prayer? If that's you, Begin to respond right now, and our stewards uh, just look around the room. Jesus.